Hey, what's going on? Some jerk parked in the handicapped spot. So this woman in a wheelchair had to wheel up this incline, and halfway up her batteries gave out and she rolled backwards into the wall. <laughs> I had to take her to St. Elizabeth's. She okay? I don't know. We're just waiting here for the owner of this car to show up. I may not get out alive. Please, if I'm taking up a handicapped spot, he's gonna pay. Sons of bitches. <laughs> well, good luck finding them. Yeah, whatever. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going? Good, mate. Welcome to another episode of Basque. My name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And this week, we are locked down in Melbourne once again. We have had a small outbreak in one of our hotel or quarantine hotels, and uh, we're at home for another couple more days, mate, for a five-day lockdown. Yeah, we spoke too soon. I think we said uh, recently, maybe privately or on the podcast, I can't remember, that we are pretty confident that the rest of the uh, episodes that we've got, we've only got about six or maybe seven left now, that we were going to be able to record them in person. But uh, yeah, spoke too soon. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Yeah, gods obviously, you know, worked against us. It's a big conspiracy against us, obviously. And uh, it is. Melbourne's, yeah, Melbourne's Melbourne's going through another five day lockdown. But uh, fingers crossed, unless there's another major outbreak or something unforeseen in the next two days, well, everything will be back to normal by next week. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, we are recording remotely today, but yeah, hopefully in the next episode, you'll be uh, with me in the Vandalay Studios for the fifth last time. Yeah, and uh, a bit of an easier editing job for you. Oh, it's fine. I enjoy editing. I like hearing back, you know, what we spoke about and, uh, you know, taking out all my ums and ahs and your ums and ahs and... (laughs) You know, oh, clicks yeah. or whatever comes up in the in the audio. <laughs> you know, you can clean those up all. and uh, no one else knows about it but us. I mean, let's be real. You don't have to edit me at all. I'm perfect. Oh, no, of course. No, it's just me that has all the ums and ahs and, and oh, stuff. Yeah. You make enough mistakes for both of us. I, on the other hand, am perfect. Oh, of course. You are the uh, the ultimate podcast host, my friend. I'm ultimate at everything. I'm the epitome of life <laughs> itself. You are. <laughs> oh, geez, a bit of a God complex over here. But anyway, oh, we are doing totally. our final season four episode for this podcast series. We're doing the Handicap Spot, episode 22. Yeah, I think we said last week it is the season four finale, but uh, I forgot that the uh, the pilot is actually pilot. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. So it's essentially, if you consider the pilot as one one hour long episode, it's uh, the handicap spot is the penultimate episode. Yeah, that's right. Bit of a bit of a dud, I would say. I uh, I didn't like a lot about this yeah. episode, but we'll talk about that a bit later on. And as we go through uh, the secondary characters, uh, if you want to talk about this episode or anything else, you can email us bitwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on all forms of social media. We've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. We do have a Discord server as well, and uh, I think we have a dead TikTok account. So uh, yeah. If you want to yeah. subscribe and dead on arrival, it, basically DOA totally. Uh, yeah. But if you want to, for some stupid reason, uh, subscribe to our completely dead Discord server and uh, TikTok account. Feel free. We're not going to stop you. Uh, yeah, links are in the show notes. <laughs> that's right. You can listen to all of uh, our previous episodes on your podcast app of choice. And if you want to rate us or review us. That would be awesome. Uh, it would make us feel fantastic. And it does actually help with visibility on the podcast and helps spread the word. You can support us financially too. Yeah, you can give us uh, one-off payments on PayPal if you're not so inclined for a Patreon subscription, or you can go onto Patreon, patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C, and you can listen to this episode earlier than everyone else, as well as a bonus podcast, Curbcast, our Curb Your Enthusiasm episode review series, as well as season 11 or early access to season 11, our modern Seinfeld series. So 
So check those out. We only have about six episodes left of Bidmobas, but we do have plenty more coming up. So uh, there is still incentive to sign up to Patreon if you want. Yeah, like Ivan said, we do have some pretty cool things coming up uh, regarding our next podcast. We have done Kirkcast for over a year now, but we will be re-recording season one and revamping it and releasing that as its own fresh podcast. The launch date and uh, the details we're yet to finalize, but uh, we'll announce over the next week or two uh, so that you can uh, get ready to listen to a more traditional take on Kobe Enthusiasm, a chronological exploration rather than a random examination like we do with Big Wabask. Indeed. And also, if you do have Facebook, you can follow our Seinfeld page, Seinfeldisms, the biggest Facebook Seinfeld community or biggest Seinfeld community on Facebook, I should say. So uh, go to links in the show notes and uh, check that out. Yeah, that's right. All sorts of cool things coming up. And uh, yeah, subscribe or not subscribe, but uh, join the fun and uh, yeah, keep an eye out. <laughs> Indeed. Speaking of Seinfeldisms, the way we kick off each episode, my friend, what Seinfeld-related event has happened in your lockdown life so far? Bit of a slow one this week. Uh, the mm-hmm. stock standard imagine. Uh, Seinfeld podcast mention. That's it. You should do that just as like your own segment. Like every week, you know, you should say what podcast you heard Seinfeld on. <laughs> that should yeah, be like a segment. Yeah, it's like a podcast subcategory of Seinfeldisms. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you could call it Seincast, but <laughs> there's probably some issues with the other Seinfeld podcast with that name. Podfeld. Podfeld. The Podfeldisms. Podfeld. The Podfeldisms. I love it. The Podfeld Chronicles. <laughs> the Podfeld Chronicles. Oh, boy. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Uh, yeah. No, nothing for me, uh, mate. But did you say you had another Seinfeldism? No, that was it. Just the one. All right, sweet. What about some Seinfeld news? I'm sure there's a couple of juicy articles going around. Just one this week, uh, or one that I found, unless you've got some extra ones that I didn't uh, manage to see. As part of the uh, NYC revitalization, obviously NYC has suffered significantly, especially the entertainment and creative industries under COVID, as have most other cultural cities, uh, you know, Melbourne included, where we are. Uh, as part of the revitalization effort, the city of New York, uh, you know, trying to do a whole bunch of things, they've recently announced that they're going to open stadiums up and, and big venues to live events and sports at, I think, 10 or 20 percent capacity which i think is really smart uh, another cool yep. project is actually they're getting a bunch of celebrities new york celebrities especially to uh, record their voices for um subway announcements and included in that batch of nyc celebrities is jerry seinfeld oh beautiful the next yes. train to start in ireland is at 11 55 a.m what's the deal yeah. with starting island <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> what's the deal with actuality yeah. what's the deal with the subway yeah, and uh, as well as, you know, just general announcements like times and light, late arrivals and things that you would expect, there will be a bunch of safe announcements as well, encouraging people to socially distance, uh, you know, stay hygienic, wear masks, etc. especially during COVID. All that jazz. Uh, Stuff we've yeah. been so familiar with in the last year. Exactly, yep. So um, included yeah. uh, in the list of celebrities alongside Jerry Seinfeld, um, a lot of rappers, um, a guy named uh, Young M.A., who's like a modernish rapper, another one, uh, Orkofina, Jadakiss, mm-hmm. Yadakiss, Jadakiss, Yadakiss. Oh, Yadakiss, yeah, yeah, I've heard of yeah. that. I've heard of her. He's a, bit of, an old, she's a lady. he's a bit of an older rapper, or is it a she? Oh, is it a he? I thought it was a she, Yadakiss. I remember the name from the 90s. We've also got Bob the Drag Queen, and uh, one, probably my favourite, other than Jerry, obviously, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, great. Yeah, and uh, in the article, um, there was a little preview of some of the voices being recorded. So uh, we'll post a link to that article in our show notes, and you can click on that and uh, watch the little video. Pretty cool. Sweet, buddy. All right, we'll put that up. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like I said, all the sign for news for the week. Very good. Very short introduction. But when we come back, we are talking about the secondary characters from our final season four episode of this podcast series, The Handicap Spot. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. 
The handicap spot first aired in the US on May 13, 1993, directed by Tom Sharones and written by Larry David and Steve. Before uh, I looked at the credits for the episode, I watched the episode and I was like, this is a Larry David ep. I mean, it was so nihilistic, <laughs> you know, it was very observational. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of pretty grim themes in this episode. I would yeah. say Call 4 is some of their worst, um, just how much <laughs> they don't care about, uh, you know, the handicapped woman in general and also just handicapped people. And pretty, also giving to charities. Yeah. yeah. So appalling. Yeah, how can you be yeah. so selfish and inconsiderate? Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it's some of the lowest. I mean, I thought it was a funny episode in some parts, but uh, you know, the core four are loved because they're so dislikable. But in this episode, they're so dislikable, you can't really find a reason to like them in this episode. Well, it was yeah. hard for me. I can't speak for anyone else. Oh, but, except Elaine was probably the most morally conscious regarding the handicap spot. Yeah, actually, Kramer, I guess, was a bit of a contradiction in the episode because at first he was just very flippant about parking in the handicap spot, which set off the whole chain of events of the episode but then he was the most considerate about i can't even remember her name the handicapped woman lola lola that's right you know he was the most considerate so he was sort of the most inconsiderate and the most considerate at the same time (laughs) he felt he felt pretty bad for what he did yeah yeah i guess it was more of a guilt reaction than anything but Yeah. yeah jerry and george highly contemptible and uh, yeah, you're right, Elaine's probably the most consistently concerned and decent in the episode. Of course. And in this episode, the gang uh, goes out shopping for a joint gift for a couple who are about to get married. That's they're the Drakes, played by Rick Overton and Elizabeth Dennehy. George is using his father's car, Frank Costanza. This is actually the first episode featuring Frank Costanza, but not he wasn't played by Jerry Stiller. He was played in this episode by John Randolph, and he has trouble finding a parking spot. He reluctantly agrees to park in a handicapped spot that has serious repercussions when a disabled person is injured, Lola, like like we mentioned before. She's played by Donna Evans. An angry crowd takes care of the car as well if she, they really mangle it up. George and Kramer decide to do the right thing for the injured person by buying her a new wheelchair, but they don't want to spend too much money. They buy a large screen TV for their friends, but are upset when the couple call off the wedding and the woman gives away all of the gifts to charity. So other secondary characters, Estelle Harris, she plays Estelle. I think this is her second or third appearance in Seinfeld at this point. She uh, makes her debut in the contest, an earlier season four episode. Nancy Len- Lenahan plays a, the United Volunteer because in this episode, Steve, Frank Estanz is actually a volunteer, would you believe? Yeah, he's actually a nice person. A nice person, but he's very uh, grumpy to his son. Yeah, a nice person to uh, to others, but uh, constant disappointment in his son. I think that's the only, um, you know, carry through for Jerry Stiller, Frank Costanza, you know, classic Frank Costanza is that they're both horrible to their son. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> that's the running theme. Yeah. Richard Portnow plays Ray, the wheelchair salesman, and Kathy Kinney, you might know her from the Drew Carey show. She plays a bystander. I thought I'd bring that one in because she has uh, she has a bit more of a higher profile than other actors in, the, in this episode. Yeah, especially ones that only make, you know, a couple of, you know, a one appearance. Exactly. A bit of trivia about the episode, buddy. So in this one, so we know that uh, John Randolph plays uh, Frank Costanza, but in the syndicated US version of the episode, uh, they actually reshot the Frank Steens with uh, Jerry Stiller. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and in, in syndication, the Jerry Stiller playing Frank Costanza is the uh, the footage that you'll see, and obviously they did that to keep it consistent, to avoid confusion. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, but it is kind of, in a way, neat to see, you know, another Frank Costanza, a, a different take. You know, it's always interesting to have a think about, you know, what if this actor played a famous character in any show and uh, and, and imagine what their portrayal would have been like. But uh, it's rare that you actually get to see it, especially such an iconic role like Frank Costanza. So, you know, I, again, I, I understand why they reshot with Frank. Uh, sorry, with Jerry. Makes total sense. Uh, and, I mean, you know, no no, no disrespect, but I think Jerry Stiller is the supreme Frank Costanza. He's, yeah. He is Frank Costanza, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to see, uh, you know, another take on it, I guess. And, uh, you know, it's good that it's preserved as well. 
Of course. Well, which uh, which episode did you watch? Did you watch the John Randolph version or the Jerry Stiller version? John Randolph, yeah. John Randolph, yeah. That was the one that was on Amazon Prime Video in Australia because Seinfeld yeah. is still on there uh, in Australia and it hasn't quite gone to Netflix just yet. But yeah, right. that's the one I watched as well. I was trying to find clips of the Jerry Stiller scenes, but I couldn't find anything. I'm, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Maybe I didn't really look hard enough. Yeah, well, I mean, I listened to the Seincast episode before this episode. They're the probably the most popular Seinfeld podcast out there. Uh, and oh, yeah, actually, by, by a long way. Yeah, by a long way. But yeah, they play the uh, audio back-to-back of John Randolph and then Jerry Stiller doing the same scene. And the script was exactly the same, but you can just hear the yeah. delivery. It's totally different. Yeah, different different takes on the character. Yeah, I mean, sure. John Randolph was still angry, but he wasn't psychotic <laughs> like Jerry Stiller, yeah. Frank. Yeah, he still, he still, he, he was like, you know, he was a normal person who had a reasonable amount of frustration given the situation. You know, his son ruined his car. You know, he has to deal got with Got him George arrested. Generally, got him arrested. Mm-hmm. You know, his level of frustration is understandable, whereas Frank is yeah. always highly strong and is always frustrated even if there's no reason to be of course of course what trivia do you have the line that jerry says which was actually one of my favorite is uh when you know when they they happen upon the trashed car jerry in his normal sort of semi-sarcastic but also a way to try and make feel george uh, make george feel better when he says you know a lot of these scratches will buff right out that line was actually improvised that's right yeah that was that's pretty cool i love i love the way jerry delivered it, it was it was probably one of the best lines in the episode yeah definitely really it, it was sort of it was kind of sarcastic but it was trying to be reassuring but you know jerry knows that a, a throwaway line like that is not going to make george feel better but uh yeah, yeah it, it's you know it, it a simple line but it, it means a lot it does yeah no it's a good one and uh, you can see the look on george's face he's not happy <laughs> Yeah, oh, he's, uh, he's beyond distraught. Of course, beyond. In the scene where Estelle is playing Mahjong with her friends, George sits down on the couch. Guess what magazine he's reading? Glamour, Glamour magazine. Yeah. From the contest. Cool, yeah. huh? Nice little <laughs> yeah, touch. Nice Nice little coincidence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, nice, nice. So he's still doing it after the contest. He's still reading Glamour magazine and probably doing other stuff with it. Yeah, that's right. Um, another little coincidence. It's not actually listed in the, the trivia I'm reading through. But, uh, you know, while you mention a, a fun little callback and coincidence, I think it's worth noting that uh, when when they go to the mall to try and get the TV, Kramer says, you know, now, guys, remember where we parked? And they're all just like, yeah, 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 we'll remember where we parked. And that's actually a callback to the, uh, the parking lot. That's right, the parking garage, yeah, that's right, <laughs> when they all got lost. Yeah, that's a nice little nice little reference there too. Yeah, yeah, and you see them, you know, obviously that's still a, a pretty traumatic memory for them. They're just like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to forget. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're not going to forget. Well, yeah, well, this mall, it's, it's more like outdoors, and it, it seems like a smaller mall than uh, the one they went to. So I think they'd be yeah. okay to find the car. Yeah, <laughs> they, passed, they parked in a handicapped spot anyway, the dogs. <laughs> so, you know, they, yeah, they know where they are. It's right at the front. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to remember like red seven or blue six or whatever. It's just the handicap spot that's very close to the the front door. Yeah, the blue and white logo. That's right. That's it. Anyway, do you have any other trivia, my friend, or should we get stuck into these secondaries like we always do? Yeah, no, let's get into the secondaries. All right. I reckon we should talk about Frank Costanza. I've put him down as the OG Frank Costanza because, you know, he does have elements like we just mentioned before of Jerry Stiller's Frank, but there's also some things that uh, Jerry Stiller's Frank didn't actually do, like volunteer, and uh, he has a bit more, like even like you mentioned, he's more frustrated than angry rather than uh, Jerry's Frank. So do you reckon we should uh, talk about him first? Yeah, it makes sense. 
Yeah, so he's played by film and theatre actor John Randolph. He's known for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That also starred uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus as well. He also appeared in the films Escape from the Planet of the Apes and Serpico. Uh, He passed away in 2004 in Hollywood, aged 88. And uh, yeah, in this one, so we have seen the evolution of Frank from this episode all the way to the finale in season nine. And a couple of, well, I guess we won't talk about Frank overall because we have talked about Frank in the What's the Deal with the Seinfeld Parents episode in our first year of... (laughs) doing this podcast so we won't go into detail about him overall but uh, in the context of the episode my friend he um the one thing that surprised me which one thing which i forgot about in the app he uh he's a volunteer he volunteers for the united volunteers yeah he's actually got uh you know a, a decent side to him he's actually like a normal person who cares about other people <laughs> <laughs> even um his relationship with estelle like they seem like a married couple but they don't like bark orders at each other and yell at each other as well so they yeah. kind of they kind of tolerate each other they kind of have like a mutual uh, understanding towards their son. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's not that constant tension that you see in sort of the first maybe two or three seasons that George's parents are in. You know, they do they do get a bit more close in sort of season eight or nine after their, their split. But yeah, their, their, their relationship is just very kind of normal. You know, they've been married for, you know, 40, 50 odd years. It, it's not even that they tolerate each other. It's just, it's just kind of normal and functional it's civil you know yeah. it's not that ongoing constant tension where everyone's on edge and they're yelling at each other and like you said barking orders at each other no no they just uh, yeah, they just seem like a couple who've been married for you know 50 years 40 years or whatever and uh, you know they're kind of just putting up with each other I mean Frank is you know Estelle is playing Mahjong with her friends in the lounge room and you know Frank's not saying you should move elsewhere or you know go somewhere else he's you know he's pretty cool with it yeah yeah I mean I think the fact that you know this is not about Frank per se but even the fact that Estelle is pretty relaxed having a good time with her friends even her having friends was a bit different was a bit i forgot that she was actually playing mahjong with obviously a very close and old group of girlfriends um yeah 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 and even even their playing is very civil very normal there's no tension there's no wackiness it's yeah. just exactly how you would expect for older people or anyone to play you know a friendly game of mahjong or whatever so you know not only is their relationship more stable and normal but just them as people as individuals you know they've got friends they've got a social life that's it's just such a strange aspect to their relationship you know and obviously and that that doesn't repeat itself they never have friends again they kind of hate everyone everyone hates them but just that's the last time yeah 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 the overall dynamic again is that them as individuals and then them as a couple and then them as parents on all those levels is pretty normal yeah you know what i'm kind of glad they went with the you know the way that they went with the costanzas i think i think that's what makes them such memorable secondary characters i feel like if they were if john randolph still stayed in the role and they kept estelle as estelle the way she was i felt like maybe it would have been too much if we saw the costanzas like all the time they probably have to dial it back and they probably come in once you know like once every 10 episodes or something otherwise it'd be too much yeah Yeah, i think so i mean recasting frank you know with jerry didn't just change Frank as a character, but it also changed his relationship with Estelle, his relationship with George, and anyone else he runs into. The only person that he sort of is consistently on good terms with is is Kramer. You know, they're sort of friends. They get yeah. involved in a few business schemes, etc. And it was really, um, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, so the recasting of Frank didn't just change him in a vacuum. It recontextualized everyone around him and how they relate to him and how he relates to them back. Yeah, for sure. I, I found it really interesting how Estelle, you know, accosts George for being friends with Kramer, and she says that whenever he's with Kramer, he gets up to no good because Kramer's a troublemaker. But in later seasons, they love Kramer, so maybe they have some preconceived ideas about him. But then, as they get to know him, and later. In 
in the uh, series, uh, yeah. you know, they, they get in his good books or get they get he gets in their good books. I was wondering, you know, I've got a lot of ideas about why they might have, but why I'm curious to think, uh, or curious to hear what you think about why they recast him. Yeah, I actually Googled it, Steve. According to, um, there was a book that came out written by uh, Jennifer Keishan Armstrong. It's called Seinfeldia. I'm sure you've probably heard that one before. Actually, they offered the role to Jerry Stiller uh, in previously but he turned it down because it conflicted uh, with uh, work in a play he was doing and then uh, I think something happened with John Randolph and uh, he quit after an episode and then they uh, you know offered it again to Jerry Stiller and uh, he nailed the audition oh there you go I knew that there was an official reason out there there is, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, the, maybe they preferred Jerry Stiller and, and maybe they maybe you know they said to John Randolph, look, he might just be like a one-off character, you know, you want to just do it? That's my guess. I, I don't know the full details. And then maybe they wanted to persuade Jerry, you know, to do a couple of episodes of Frank and, uh, and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel sorry for John Randolph. Like, again, you know, uh, Jerry Stiller is, is Frank stands up and I don't think anyone could have done a better job of uh, of Frank than Jerry. But, yeah, I feel a bit yeah. sorry for John, you know, being – unless you're happy to walk away and go, you know what, this is not the best representation. It's better represented by Jerry Stiller, you know, unless he's, like, I guess um, honest about it or unless he's, like, totally okay with the vision of Larry and Jerry at this time. I imagine it would, there would have been a bit of pain to be recast and then not just be recast but have your uh, scenes sort of pushed out, you know, and yeah. Well, again, I don't know the reason why. Well, I know the reason why Jerry got offered the role, but I don't know why John left the project as like left the show as well. I, I I don't know the details of that. But I mean, I I think with John, like he did well considering. I mean, they didn't give him you know much really. Oh, you know, they gave him a bit to work with. He was more like obviously like a real like side character in this one. He was more. He wasn't really involved in the events of the episode, but rather he was kind of involved in them a little bit, if if that like indirectly with the car and stuff. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't really in the driver's seat. Of the- plot he wasn't essential to moving <laughs> so to speak plot. yeah he, he wasn't really fun. essential to yeah. moving the plot forward he was more just a victim of circumstance you know he was the one george is the reason for you know his ongoing frustration and it's him just reacting to the bad decisions of george and the other uh, core four um of course yeah but i mean saying that he doesn't have as much to work with and he's not as essential to the storyline as other episodes that that uh, frank appears in but like i said uh i was listening to Sidecast, and when the, when you hear the audio back to back you can hear jerry's take on frank it's it's just there's so much more life in it there's so much more yeah oomph to it he's a lot more gutsy he's just a lot more frank really uh, even with mm. this episode and the the lesser amount of material to work with yeah, he's the Frank that we know and love. And a lot of people who watch Seinfeld for the first time, they probably look at, you know, the handicap spot and they think, wow, I thought Jerry Stiller was Frank Costanza. Who's this guy? So a lot of newcomers probably wouldn't, they'd probably be a bit shocked when they see it. Yeah, and I think that was one of the, the, the main reasons, obviously, to keep it consistent. But Seinfeld has a lot of different sort of fans. You know, there are some shows where the fans are just devoted to it because it's a cult show. There are shows like Seinfeld, but because it's so popular, you've got the hardcore fans all the way to just the casual observers. So if, if Seinfeld was just a cult show and every fan was hardcore, I think they would have just, I would have understood if they didn't reshoot it because the fans know what's going on. But for the casual yeah. fan, uh, it makes sense to reshoot it. Not only, again, yeah. just to keep the character consistent, but just to avoid confusion of people writing in and contacting them going, hang on, what's going on with this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because Jerry is synonymous with Frank. You know, as, exactly. as I know. So, yeah. yeah, I could imagine it'd be pretty jarring for a new or casual listener to look at it and be like, what the hell? Who's yeah. this guy? A couple of good points that uh, I keep talking about Seinkast, but their analysis of this episode in particular I thought was really, really good. I mean, they're, they're great at everything they do, but um, yeah. I really, really appreciated how much they thought about why, you know, the decision to recast him or maybe the decision to, you know, for, for John to leave. And a couple of good points they raised was that John looks a bit too old 
to be George's father. He does look old, doesn't he? I mean, you said he died in 2004 at the age of 88. And this episode was he was 88. Him. This episode was so shot he in was, 93, 94. Yeah, he, he was nearly 80 so, years old. Yeah, so he would have been about 79, 78, 79 when this episode was shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, not, it's yeah. not like a 79-year-old man can't have a son George's age. It's not that it's totally out of the realms of possibility. But, you know, when you're just trying to make characters believable, you've only got a certain amount of screen time. You really need to sell it. You don't you don't want to convince people that, oh, hang on, this older guy is George's father. You just want it to be believable yeah. from hit the ground running, so to speak. So, yeah, so I think that was another reason and it was a good point. I didn't actually think about it uh, until I heard it and then watched the episode. I thought, yeah, you're right. Like, he is a bit older. Like, he, he looks almost, they said that he almost looks like George's uh, grandfather. and Grandfather almost. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I feel yeah. like maybe the writers. I feel like maybe the writers as well probably wanted to take. They probably had more intentions for Frank. They probably wanted to take him into like more directions, especially with George being obviously yeah. one of the main characters on the show. You know, yeah. and with the you know the Seinfelds have already been established. Jerry's parents, and they probably wanted to establish the other parents as well. I mean, we saw yeah. Alton Venice in season two or three, whatever it was, in the jacket, and then you know we later saw you know Babs Kramer's mum. You know, a bit later on in the series. So I think they kind of wanted to you know, really bring, you know, uh, George's parents to the fore. And they probably felt that John was probably, yeah, maybe he, you know, they wanted to put him in different scenarios and maybe, you know, Jerry had more life and luster, you know, in the role compared yeah. to John. And, you know, he probably had like 10 years his youth. <laughs> so he was able to be a bit more, a bit more lively. Yeah, no, you're right. Another good point that Seinkast raised was that George as a character and, you know, he gets more neurotic and more vindictive as the series goes on, you know, into season seven, eight, nine. He's more believable as a person if he's the product of both Jerry Stiller, Frank Costanza, who's just a lunatic, and also Estelle. Whereas yeah. if they kept John as as Frank and he's a lot more calm, he's a lot more stable and he's just a nice, a, a nice and a nicer person. You know, George as a as a byproduct of a nice person and someone like Estelle, and like we said before, Estelle isn't even that loopy in this episode. She's relatively normal. It makes more sense from the context of George as well that both of his parents are just lunatics, and you don't see that in this episode. Yeah. So I think that was that's potentially another reason. They're like, hang on, we need George to be more believable. If his parents are calm, yeah. normal people, what makes him so neurotic and, and vindictive and just such a yeah. dysfunctional human? Well, if we make his parents yeah. crazy. You know, it makes more sense. That makes perfect sense. And also, yeah, you're right, because then if they do, if they went with that route, then they'd have to, like, focus on George's backstory and why he is the way he is. But, yeah, I feel like maybe the writers were like, you know what, let's make the parents as neurotic, if not worse, than George. And then the viewers can understand and say, yep, that's why George is crazy. He's yeah, got it from his parents, less, the way they raised him. It makes perfect sense. And you don't, you don't have to, like, go too much into the backstory, you know? You just yeah, need that yeah. and, and you know. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, Seinfeld is clever. It's complex. It's nuanced. It's subtle. It's not just a comedy that can just you can just watch and it washes over you it requires a bit of investment intellectually and emotionally but yeah. it's still only a 22 minute show once a week they don't have a lot of time to sell to make characters believable so if you make George's parents insane and George is insane viewers don't have to think hang on why is George like this it's just a direct line from one insane or two insane people to you know another insane person so it's yeah. making as writers and as as directors it's it makes sense for them as well because it makes it easier they're like hang on we don't like you said they don't have to they don't have to uh, spend time trying to justify why George is the way is it just it makes sense from the get-go 
Yeah, and mind you as well, there's three other main characters in the show, so you've got to, you know, you've got to give them subplots as well. So, I yeah, mean, if this yeah. was like the George, if Seinfeld was like the George show, then you could yep. probably elaborate on his backstory, but you've got other characters and you now you've got the other three, you've got secondary characters, tertiary characters to worry about, so yeah, there's too much to, to worry about. And plus, you know, Seinfeld isn't a show about character development. It's about, you know, four people, four, you know, selfish, <laughs> you know, evil, not, not evil, but selfish, bad people, and they just go about their lives. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that, that was one of the intentions of the show is to be anti-character development you know no hugging no that's right Mm -hmm. exactly yeah so uh no i think you look i think with john randolph he did well with what what he had but i feel like for the longevity of the character of frank i feel like it was probably a smart move to get jerry to do it yeah Yeah, because jerry elevated frank to like the next level you know, he's, oh. he's considered one of the greatest secondary characters, not just from Seinfeld, but maybe from like all sitcoms, you know, of oh, all he's, time. He's, you know, he's yeah, one of the best. Him, he took him to God status, definitely. Yeah, he did. And I don't, I don't yeah. think, as, as talented as John Randolph would, was, you know, he had an illustrious career himself. I feel like he wouldn't have achieved that level of, you know, godliness with Frank. No. I think Frank would have been just like a character you've seen maybe once or twice a season. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. he's there just to, you know, serve George for his plot and that's it. Yeah, and I think as time went on, because, you know, the core full arguably, uh, you know, this episode is them at some of their lowest points, but I think overall they do get worse as people. They care less and less about the well-being of others around them as the seasons go on. If John Randolph consistently played Frank Costanza, and he was as nice as he is, or as normal as he is in this episode, it would have made less and less sense as everyone else around him, especially the call for and George and Estelle got more and more mean and nasty and crazy if he just stayed nice. Yeah. There would have been more and more of a disconnect between him just being this normal person and everyone else getting more and more ridiculous and more and, and more and crazy yeah and terrible yeah wouldn't have worked i mean look to be fair we're not ratting on you know we're not ragging on john randolph he did well considering and uh, yeah. you know it was good that he was able to, to be on seinfeld and uh yeah but we, we're just glad that they well it, it was it was interesting how they wanted jerry stiller to do it in the first place <laughs> but due to a scheduling conflict with a play he couldn't do it and then they got him finally so uh yeah and no, it kind of it kind of worked out but yeah this frank was yeah. completely different kind of like kind of like um when we did the first seinfeld episode we did kessler but we, yeah. we thought that kessler and kramer were like two different characters i feel like these franks were to- so totally different totally yeah and and just to sort of back up what you were saying uh yeah we're definitely not ragging on john he's a great actor he does really yeah. well yeah. and every actor's he's had a wonderful career it's got their own takes everyone reads the script and interprets it differently and acts differently that's that's the beauty of of this art form you know you can get there's so many choices you can make exactly yeah it's just a case of for some reason what comes to mind is i've seen you know tons of live music in my life and i always think of uh, a really important decision that a lot of promoters and, and concert bookers overlook is the support band. You go and see a support band and you think, you know what, these guys are a really good band, but they're very ill-fitting for this bill. They don't, you know, if they were playing their own show or if they are supporting a different band, it would make a lot more sense. It's it's not that the band is, is bad, they're great, but they just don't fit the rest of the show, the headliner and yeah. any other supports and whatever. And that's how I kind of think of this. In a vacuum, John Randolph does a great Frank, but in the context of where the show is now and where the show ends up, it's just, it's a square peg in a round hole and I'm glad they they recast it, you know, only one episode in. Yeah, me too, me too. But anyway, it was just very interesting to see. So, uh, you know, no matter which one you get, if you do get the, uh, you know, if you do get the Jerry Stiller version of the handicap spot, I implore you to watch the John Randolph version as well if you haven't, just for comparison. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's rare that you get to see 
you know, I, I often think I really like this actor playing this character in whatever show I'm watching. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, I wonder if it was played by this other actor. I wonder how it would it would come across differently. I wonder how, if it would change the show, make it better or worse. And, you know, mm-hmm. you rarely get to see that, if ever. So it's nice to see, you know, even one episode of a different actor playing such an iconic character. Indeed. Anyway, did you have any other notes on Frank? No, I think we've talked about him uh, at length. So let's move on. At length. Uh, yeah, and indeed, we, who we're talking about. Well, I was going to bring up Estelle and how she was different in this episode, but uh, I think we've already kind of done that. We've kind of tied it mm-hmm. into Frank because it's so, you know, there's, there's so much different in this episode. So why don't we talk about the Drake? I hate the Drake. Ah, uh, yeah, the Drake and Drake Kett. She's also known as Allison. So the Drake, he was played by Rick Overton. Uh, he is known for his Emmy-nominated role in the variety show Dennis Miller Live. Uh, he's also appeared in the films Beverly Hills Cop, Eight-Legged Freaks, and Groundhog Day. Uh, he also appears in the pilot part two, the season four finale a couple of episodes later and he also appears in season six's The Label Maker uh, Allison he, she's played by Elizabeth Dennehy she's known for Gattaca Hancock and Red Dragon and she's been in TV shows Charmed NYPD Blue and The Mentalist among many others I feel like Steve with the Drake he seems like when they talk about him he seems like a mythical kind of character you know like a larger than life kind of guy you know we probably think you know before you see the actual Drake you think the Drake is like a really cool guy you know everyone loves him he will he's a life of the party everyone wants to kind of be like the drake but then we see him and he's just his self-esteem is just shattered like he's just a shell of what they say he is yeah i mean he when you first see him and and they interact with him it's just after he's been broken up so it makes sense that he's maybe not who you expect him to be when they're when they're talking about him but even then you know if you sort of try and separate the breakup from who he is He's just so plain. He's just so yeah, he's, just a slice of, he's just a slice of white bread. The way they were talking about him and they all love him. You know, he's so nice. Love the Drake. Love the Drake. Even the way they, you know, they, they, you know, put him on a pedestal. Like, like you said, like is this amazing, awesome human who you just have to be around. Yeah, he, he's just so boring. Like he's just this. He's just no, boring. Yeah. I think you know, in this episode, if they didn't go down the he broke up with or his girlfriend broke up with him route, and they just showed him, you know, uh, still in that relationship. I still think it would have been boring. Yeah, very boring. And that's probably why Allison wanted to break up with him. I feel like she yeah. wanted to break up with the Drake for a while. And, you know, she yeah. probably thought, oh, this guy's really boring. All his friends seem to talk him up to be like this cool guy. <laughs> but he's just like, yeah. I know him, you know, you know, intimately. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely not any of those things. I-, I feel like with the Drake, he's probably, he probably did like a really good favor for Jerry or something. Or maybe, you know, he did, he did something to help Jerry. Maybe like he works in like the comedy scene or he did some behind the scenes stuff and got Jerry gigs and, you know, maybe Jerry. Jerry sees him as like this idol, you know, for getting him all this work or, you know, something like that. And then Jerry met, you know, Jerry talked him up to Elaine and Elaine met the Drake and, you know, the Drake was all, you know, confident and cocky. You know, he probably thought, oh, Jerry's talking me up to be more than what I am. I might just go with it. And then, uh, yeah, then eventually, you know, Kramer meets the Drake and then George and they all have this interpretation or this uh, this, um, idea of him, even though it's not real. Yeah. One thing that occurred to me was maybe he's, uh, I can't remember the, the psychiatrist's name, the one that is going out with Elaine and, you know, brings Kramer in and he's, the, he's um what's his name? Jerry's mortal enemy. Oh, uh, Crazy Joe Devola. We've yeah, done so many episodes. I think it's Dr. 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 Resnick. Dr. Resnick. Resnick. 
Yeah, Resnick. Yeah, we've done Resnick. so many episodes. Resnick, I think. Well, we've done yeah, so many Resnick. episodes, man. And then they just all the characters seem to, you know, got come all together sometimes, and they blend yeah. in, blend blend into each other. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking maybe maybe the Drake's got this ability because Resnick has this ability to put people under this spell. He kind of just hypnotizes people, and they just go along with whatever, and he can convince them to almost do anything. Maybe maybe Drake's got some weird ability to do that. You know, he's very boring, but somehow he can sort of almost you know spellbound people to make him or make him better than or make him more interesting and, and yeah make people love him more than you know they ordinarily would i don't know just a thought that it would occur well maybe maybe he like from a public perspective he's very you know he he puts on the confidence and you know the all that kind of stuff but maybe behind the scenes he's just a, i feel like behind the scenes is a very like he's got no confidence no self-esteem i feel like it's all an act to other people yeah. and i think allison drake it like sees through it and she's had enough of it she's like you got to yeah. be yourself in front of these people or you know i don't, I don't want to live a lie pretending i'm with the hot the greatest guy in the world when i'm not yeah. actually am and i don't want to live yeah. this lie and you know you're the extrovert in front of everyone and i'm the the one who just cowers in the corner you you know, waiting for people to talk to me. You know, I want to. I want to you know, live truthfully. So she's had enough yeah, of it. No, that, yeah, I mean that that inconsistency, and you know, everyone does that. You know, where privately people are a bit different than who they are publicly. I, I think everyone's you know has that um, dynamic you know, or duality, you know, to a certain level. But yeah, if it's so much so that it's like two different people. I can understand her getting to a point saying, you know what, I'm happy to accept that maybe you're a bit more confident with people and a bit less confident on your own. That's fine. But if it's such a vast difference, yeah, it's just, it, it, it would be confusing for it. It would be like, well, who are you? Are you the super confident guy? Are you this sort of lower self-esteem introverted guy? It would be hard to, to get a read on the person. And then and then it would be hard to be herself as well. She would feel constantly pushed and pulled. It's like, well, who are you? Pushed and pulled, Yeah. Yeah, she can't. She can't be herself around him, which yeah, is the worst thing. Yeah. Especially, especially if you're going to marry the guy. Geez, you're going to live with him, you know, for the next forty, fifty, sixty years of your life. Goodness, you can't live a lie like that. It'll it'll eat you and up inside. Exactly. And I've met people in my life who, uh, you know, they they require a lot of uh, attention, and and you know, they feed off that, and that you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Extroverts exist. Great, but. They also, that is also their form of therapy. They need that constant validation and, and, and affirmation by people, but privately they're, you know, they're quite empty. They're quite lost. They don't get self-esteem. They're not willing to try and find a source of that within themselves. So if, if she's constantly seeing, well, he's great around people. He's so charming. He's friendly. Everyone loves him. He's got a great energy, but you know, when everyone goes home and it's just them two, if she's got to be his constant sounding board and dumping ground, that can also get pretty exhausting as well. It's like, well, maybe Drake, maybe the Drake has to do a bit of work on his own and not just rely on her to mm. sort of, you know, to, to be that person, to be that bomb. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, the problem. Mm, it's it's yeah. okay. It's okay that being around people makes him feel good. That's great. But you've also got to you've got to have many sources of feeling good. You've got to have external sources and internal sources, and it's not just up to her to carry him emotionally. Yeah, of course, and and also yeah, she's got to kind of be herself in front of everyone too. Otherwise, yeah, you're, you're literally just living a lie. So I feel yeah, like yeah, she's just really frustrated and she's had enough. She's like, you know, what? I can't do this. Yeah. I can't, you know, make people think that you're the you know the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. yeah so I need I need to come with someone go just to. to be with someone else who will uh, be the way they are and be themselves. Yeah, and I mean, I think him feeling guilty and giving her all of the gifts and her then saying, I hate the Drake on the phone when Elaine calls her to <laughs> ask for the, the phone. I love that. Uh, yeah. We all do. Uh, <laughs> we all hate yeah. the Drake. We all hate him. We all hate it, him. When she says, I hate the Drake, I don't think she just hates him because, you know, she's just upset over a breakup. I think it's a genuine, like, I've just reached the end of my limit. I do not like this oh, person. Yeah. You know, yeah, she, you she decided that yeah. she hated him. 
you know, people sometimes they break up and they're just initially angry and they're like, oh, I hate that person. But then after a few months, they, they calm down and they're like, oh, hang on, maybe they're not that bad. It just didn't work out. But I think her hatred for him developed before the breakup. And then, you know, that is the reason yeah. they broke up. Like, I don't even like yeah. you. Like, I love you. Yeah, it's something and, that she's been suffering with for a long time. Yeah. If he's, if he's being emotionally honest, what does he feel guilty about? You know, because she says, you know, the Drake gave the Drake had all the gifts because he felt guilty. If he feels guilty, if that's a genuine feeling, then he's obviously taken her for a ride or taken advantage of her. And I think that reinforces our theory that maybe he's just drained her. Maybe she feels, you know, that the inconsistency is just too much. He's yeah, got a reason yeah. to feel bad. Of course. Yeah. And then and, and she had the confidence to finally say, I'm done with you. So good yeah, for her. Yeah. I hate the Drake. <laughs> I hate him. I hate the Drake. You know what I do hate on a side note? I hate the line, the Drake. You know, I love the Drake, love the Drake, hate the Drake. It was, yeah. I just thought it sucked. It was very, it's one very of those funny. memorable, it's one of those memorable Seinfeld catchphrases. Yeah, no, but most of them I, I love, you know, these pretzels are making me thirsty or no sleep for you or, you know, yada, yada, yeah. yada. I think they're all great. They're, they're popular because they're great. I don't understand why this is popular. It just doesn't. It just irritates me. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> so you hate the phrase, <laughs> hate the catchphrase. Would I you hate say? The, I hate the "I love the Drake." <laughs> I hate the "I love the Drake." <laughs> okay, hate, we'll go with I that. I hate to love the Drake. I love yeah, to hate the I Drake. Hate, I love to hate the Drake. Yeah, makes sense. That. <laughs> makes perfect sense. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any other notes on him? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, who are we going to talk about next, mate? Uh, why don't we talk about the wheelchair salesman? I didn't catch his name. Uh, Ray. He's played by Richard Portnow. I didn't get his credits, but uh, to me, he, he looked like a used car salesman. I loved it. He had like the slick back hair, you know, this cheese, like the, the, the shit-eating grin. And, you know, he's using all these like high-tech or so-called high-tech features he tells George and Kramer about with the wheelchairs and stuff and all these terms they've never heard of. Is it? I'm sure, you know, because you, you bought a car, what, last year or a couple of years ago, you're probably familiar with uh, the salesperson trying to tell you, oh, this this car has this and this and this. And well, you're like, funnily well, enough, you don't know 80% of what the shit is. You're like, what? well, what's this? Funnily enough, with the car, we actually went in there because we bought a car and it was a total lemon. And we need oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Right. yeah, and and, yeah, yeah. and we were like, you know what? Rather than risk it again, we were so burnt by buying this lemon car that we thought was great. We took it for a test drive, et cetera, et cetera. We were so traumatized by that. We were like, you know what? Let's just go and buy a new car so we don't have to worry yeah, yeah. about it. And, and if there is something wrong with it, then it's not our fault. It's brand new. You know, it wasn't that we misjudged the car. It's just that it was a dud and we got unlucky again. So of course, went, just, it happens uh, to people, yeah. Yeah, I went into, we went into the, the, the car yard where we bought the car. Brand spanking new. Uh, I actually, we walked up to the salesman who was the first person on the floor who came up to us and we said, we want to buy a car, sell us a car. There was no, there was no like, we knew what car we wanted. We just turned up and yeah. said, you don't have to, you don't have to sell it to us. You don't have to be slick. Just let's, I'll, we'll buy the car. What do we, show us the steps to buy the car. You know, you don't yeah. even need to okay. sell it. We will, we will buy the car. That's probably the <laughs> easiest sale that he had for the whole day. Yeah, but he still he still tried this. He, he still, he couldn't like turn off the salesman because it's so ingrained. He's like, oh, cool. Even though we said to him, we will buy the car, just make it happen, do whatever you have to do paperwork, finance, blah, blah, blah. He still mm. he still couldn't go, oh, cool, I don't have to do the salesman thing. He still, he knew it was he an easy sale, but it was, so, it was so ingrained. He's still like, it was yeah. hard for him to turn it off. It was pretty funny. He'd be like, hey, guys, oh, maybe, like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, how's it going? Dude, yeah. the sale's done. Like, you don't have to. Oh, maybe it's it part was, of the was, process. Maybe maybe it's part of their KPIs. You know, they got to like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know anyone who's a car salesman or anything, but uh, it's probably no, part of their, I, like, their job to do it, maybe to, to tell you the stuff at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Like, we wanted him to tell us about the features. It's not like we were like, we, 
You yeah. know, we wanted to know what we were buying, but he didn't have to pitch us. You know, all he was doing was describing what we'd already decided to buy. And that's fine. But he was still doing yeah. like the whole pitching thing. And I think it was just a case of he just couldn't turn it off because that's, you know, yeah. you come to work five days a week and you turn on that brain. And yeah. even though someone comes up to you and literally says, you don't need to be a salesman, just make the car be ours, please. It's hard to just yeah. switch that off entirely. So he was sort of battling between going, oh, cool, I don't have to be a salesman and being a salesman. Yeah. It was entertaining. To it, was part, it was part of his muscle memory, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, yeah. he was pro, he, you know, so so ingrained. But it was it, it was yeah. great. It was, it was just entertaining. Uh, fair enough. Well, actually, well, going back to Ray, I actually, I liked I liked the idea that the, the fact that he is like a car salesman, but for wheelchairs. Like, I don't feel like wheelchairs are a common item, but I feel like, like, if we could hypothesize a backstory about Ray, I feel like he probably was a car salesman and maybe for some reason he lost, like lost his job or got fired or whatever and then you know he they had a job for like wheelchair salesman and he's probably like oh i'm going to get some of my old you know sales techniques and try and sell wheelchairs but because obviously wheelchairs aren't as common as cars he probably doesn't get too many customers so when he sees george and kramer walk in you know he uh, he he's got a sale and he tries to use his uh, his old techniques that he did in his old job yeah see i i i think that's a really good take what i thought was something kind of similar but maybe he was a car salesman or you know some sort of salesman but in an industry more regulated and maybe he got in a bit of trouble maybe he was doing a bit of dodgy oh, stuff and he lost right. his license yeah, yeah, yeah. and because okay. because wheelchairs you know aren't as commonly sold i didn't even know you know it could be completely just within the episode i i don't even know if there is a, a secondhand or used wheelchair market at all maybe there are i maybe there is i don't know but even if there is like you said it's not as popular it's not a commonly sold or it's not a commonly desired item there's not much of a market for it yeah. anyway so because it's of not, that it's, it's a very 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 niche market yeah it's probably less regulated so he can he can yeah. be a salesman but he doesn't need to go through all the I'm sure car salesmen, to be legit, probably need a license. You know, they need to be above board all the time. Probably maybe yeah. got a bit of trouble. And he's like, well, well of know, course. I, I can work in an, um, a less regulated industry where there's no, you know, there's less government regulation. There's less, you know, I can be a bit dodgier and it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it does matter because it's one yeah. it can cause of well, it you does. Know, it causes Lola serious injury, you know. She she exactly. her, the brakes are faulty. I feel like that probably got him fired just by doing that too. I feel like he probably he got out of the car sales job by, you know, by doing that and then it happened to him again mm. before wheelchairs and I feel like he lost his job again because he he sold a product with faulty brakes. See, I was under the impression that maybe he owned the store, maybe. Like, because there was oh, okay. no other stuff. Maybe. It wasn't a big shop. You know, he easily, it was like, you know, a pretty small shop. Uh, yeah. You know, he could easily, like you said, there's not many people coming in. So it's not like there needs to be two or three salespeople combing the floor to uh, to pick up customers. Maybe he's the owner as well. So, you know, even if, yeah. um, you know, um, hopefully there were ramifications of him selling a defective wheelchair. But, I'm sure uh, I hope there was, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if he was the owner, I don't think he would have been fired. I think he would have just hoped that, you know, it didn't blow back on him. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i just love the way he looked like like one of those stereotypical used car salesmen with all the you know the physical features it was great yeah no he definitely had the sleazy car salesman vibe going on there they nailed it and uh yeah you know and and even it was well written as well you know not just his energy and his personality but what the actual words he said and the techniques yeah just like used. bullshit features it's like what yeah 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 and it's <laughs> what the hell you no know, what the hell's all this shit yeah, it's a common trait and it's a fine line to walk because if you're a salesman, you want to sound like you know what you're talking about and you want to use a few technical terms that will probably slightly confuse the customer. But if you get super technical, then it's like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about and walk away. So you've exactly. got to walk that fine line between seeming like you're an expert and slightly confusing the customer so they're intrigued. 
but not over technicalizing it and, and making it just yeah. like, well, what the fuck's even going on? So, and the fact that he did that, you know, he, he George and Kramer were like, well, I don't really know what you're talking about, but it's not so complex that I'm disinterested, you know, and, and yeah, he did, he did a great job of, the energy and the vibe of a dodgy car salesman, but also yeah, he did. Yeah, you know, like the, the, the script itself was really, really thoughtful as well. It portrayed, yeah. it helped sell the idea of a really slick but sleazy used car salesman. Yeah, yeah, he was my favorite secondary in the episode. Oh, he only yeah, had one scene, but he was good. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he was definitely good. Uh, do you have any other yeah. notes about him? No, but let's. I only have notes on uh, Lola to finish off. Do you have any other characters? Uh, no, that's it. Cool. All right. So Lola, she was played by stunt woman Donna Evans, and uh, she's been a stunt double in over 172 films and TV shows. Wow. Uh, she's been in uh, movies such as Charlie's Angels, Iron Man 2, Total Recall, Die Hard 2, Jurassic Park. I mean, she's been in like all of them. And uh, she's been a Sandra Bullock's stunt double in several of her films as well. Miss Congeniality, Speed, the other ones as well. So uh, yeah, she's has quite an illustrious career as a stunt woman. Well, it makes sense that they would have used a stunt woman to uh, sit in a wheelchair and fly down a hill because yeah. that, that looked real. That looked very real, yeah, and because uh, I was like, "That's that's pretty good trick photography," but no, it's it was she was really a, a stunt woman, so it makes sense. It was probably like pillows and mattresses or whatever it is on the bottom of the hill to, to catch her. Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah no, sure. it made sense. I'm sure off camera there would have been lots and lots of safety precautions, and you know she's obviously a very experienced and professional stunt woman. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it makes more sense. They're like, well, rather than just get a normal actor and use camera trickery and editing tricks to make it look like that, why don't we just do it but make it, yeah. you know, so that person who knows what they're doing exactly i feel like i've got two words for lola mean and manipulative yeah see i i think yeah i feel like yeah i feel like with lola like when i say that i mean like he she tells kramer that he's a hipster doofus you know when they Mm -hmm. break up but i feel like she manipulates like she knows that kramer likes her for her you know looks and you know her supposedly personality i don't feel like lola kind of feels the same way towards kramer and i feel like lola's Lola's trying to get Kramer to buy the wheelchair for her. So she's like, she's kind of like manipulating him to do it because Kramer, Kramer's all like lovey-dovey. And then Lola's yeah. like, I'm just going to take advantage of this guy. So get me a wheelchair. Yeah, no, actually, but little, little like, does she know that they're like Kramer and George are tight asses so they get the cheapest one. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that. If she led Kramer on just to get the wheelchair, that is manipulative. And in and of yeah. itself, that's not a nice thing. But considering no. the situation they put her in, I don't think it's unreasonable. If she's like, well, you know, these guys could have killed me. I'm in hospital. Yeah. I already struggled. Yeah. I already struck. No, I already can't walk. And now I've got to put up with this shit. You know what? Fuck these right. guys. I'm going to get a wheelchair out of them and I'm going to be a bit of an asshole to do it. Uh, again, like I'm not saying two wrongs make a right, but I understand if I was in that situation and I was sitting there in hospital going, this is horrible, you know, all because of some inconsiderate bastard parking in the wrong spot. I'm here. And, you know, life is hard enough already not being able to walk. You know, maybe I can maybe I can screw with these dudes to get a wheelchair out of them. Yeah. Again, not saying, not justifying that behavior, but I can understand no, no, why no. she would maybe yeah. be in that mindset to get something in return. You know, almost as like a form of revenge in a way. I mean, it doesn't yeah, work in, out in for revenge, her, obviously. Yeah. But, no, you know, no, it doesn't. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, ends up back, she ends up back at home yeah. resting and she gets yeah, a TV out of it. She gets a big screen TV. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. But even then, I'd rather not be in hospital and have a normal TV. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, have, <laughs> two, have two accidents Know, three days and have a normal yeah. TV. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather be safe than than entertained. Fair call, fair call. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, with the actor, like the stunt woman, she just needed to scream while going down a hill. I mean, there wasn't yeah. really much that she needed no. to do. And um, yeah, that, that was it. And yeah. uh, Lola, we uh, we see her right at the end. <laughs> that, that that scene with her going down the hill. Yeah, <laughs> it's, me I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a it's an awful. It's kind of dark too. Yeah, it's, it is a bit dark, but 
the the smash cut to them you know when when um when frank's a bit concerned and uh he's like you know can can you handle it um oh no 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 sorry that happens after i can't remember the scene before it cuts to her rolling down the hill but i just remember it being a massive smash cut and it's yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's it was brilliantly edited even though it's, it's i think it's kramer I, I think it's kramer talking about the fact that lola broke up with her and they talk about it and then it cuts to to lola because yeah, yeah. George is like something, George says something like, you know, we got her a secondhand wheelchair. And Jerry's like, secondhand? And, oh, um, that's right. Yeah, you're oh, used. And he's like, $240? Like, isn't that a bit cheap? And he's like, yeah, we got yeah, her a used yeah. one. And he's like, used wheelchair? And then it smash cuts to her. That's it's, right. Yeah, yeah it's a lot like going down the hill. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's a horrible, it's a horrible situation <laughs> for her. <but> the, the, <laughs> It's just it go it escalates so quickly. Yeah, you certainly get what you pay for when it comes to wheelchairs. That's one thing I've learned since watching this episode. True, true, true. You do. All right. Well, that's all the characters for the handicap spot. Let's come back uh, after this break, and we'll find out where it sits in our episodes we've done so far, and if any of today's secondary characters make our top twenty. Well, we just blew two hundred and forty bucks on a wheelchair. Two hundred forty bucks. Well, it was slightly used. Used. <laughs> All right, buddy, out of 163 episodes we have done so far, where does the handicap spot sit for you? This one sits at number 161. Okay, very very low. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I was saying at the top of the episode, at the top of the podcast, it's hard for me to like this episode because they're just so horrible to, you know, just to disable people in general and their attitude when they're trying to justify, especially trying to justify. It's just really, you know, again, I know it's Seinfeld, they're horrible people, and that's what makes it funny, but for some reason this one just... Instead of making me like the show more, it just really, it, it, it was a bit of a struggle to watch it. I was just like, oh, that's just so low. Even yeah. for 1992 or 93, mm-hmm. you know, when, when standards were a bit different to maybe what they are now, it just, it was a real, it was a real challenge. The humor Same was that, very uh, different, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, there are more, there are episodes of the show where they're more mean or it's more insensitive to certain groups of people. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know, for some reason, I guess... I guess because it resulted in physical injury to someone rather than to someone's emotional, like say uh, the Sagasta Indian, you know, obviously Jerry is insensitive to, I can't remember the Native Winona. American woman, Winona. Winona, you know, but yeah. her, her physical safety, you know, it's, it's hard for her to deal with Jerry being insensitive, but she's not physically harmed. I think it was the physical aspect that really made this episode, you know, it's not just feelings or emotions. It's someone's personal physical safety. Yeah. Just twice. And plus the fact that Lola was already through. disabled. She's exactly. already going through yeah, enough. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just like, Someone who's already struggling. Well, I, I don't want to be patronising, but someone who finds it a bit harder to get through life compared to other people, maybe physically, and then two serious injuries in three days. It just really—it <laughs> was a bit gut wrenching. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. Mind you, I did like. I thought Kramer was probably the highlight of this episode. His acting was mm-hmm. great. You know, when he was yeah. like, "Look at me, you know, I'm beautiful. I'm a beautiful." And George was like, "Yeah, you're very attractive. I really like that scene." Yeah, and, and like you said, Elaine is, and 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 the uh, the the wheelchair salesman. They were probably the few highlights. What about you? Where does it sit for you? 133. I felt like, like you said, I yeah, I feel like look, there were some parts that were funny and stuff, but yeah, it was a bit, a uh, bit, bit harsh to handicap people as well. Um, you know yeah. that that kind of humor hasn't really aged <laughs> aged too well. I feel no. like it's like I mentioned at the top of the episode, it's a much more nihilistic 
kind of episode like especially when they're all in the car looking for the spot they talk about handicapped people and then you know George goes on his rant about feminists and I don't know it just felt like it just felt really like a lot more nihilistic than usual like the characters really like were just you know wondering like what's the point (laughs) of all this shit like like because a lot of episodes you know they do have that attitude but they kind of have like more purpose in the episode but I feel like I feel like um, there wasn't really like much purpose other than getting the big screen TV for the Drake you know there was wasn't really much else going on so they they really had a lot more time like for introspective thoughts and stuff so yeah, yeah. Know, it was just yeah, a bit, bit more it was, it was a very very larry david episode and i told you i didn't even know i didn't even see who wrote the episode and i was like this is definitely a larry david episode i yeah. can tell you know it's very yeah, very like proto curb as well a lot of the humor as well yeah. um especially a lot of the, the one-liners and comments and so yeah i was yeah. like yeah this is curb and this is this is a larry david ep for sure so yeah, yeah. but no it was, it was all right and it was interesting seeing john randolph as frank Costanza as well so no he did he did all right considering but yeah I love the uh the wheelchair salesman he was my favorite and then Lola yeah. at the end going down the hill <laughs> that was fun yeah and again not not laughing at a horrible horrible injury for no, him no, no 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 but just just the editing it was was really really well done and the stunt coordination was uh, was top notch for a tv show for sure. yeah for yeah sure. any of the characters make your top 20 any newer ones we know if the Frank's in our top 20 but uh anyone new uh you know what I'm gonna put I don't actually have my list of top 20 and I haven't said it in like probably <laughs> A couple of years because it hasn't really changed much once we got through most of the secondary characters but i'm going to put in uh the wheelchair salesman at number maybe 19 or 20 beautiful I, we gotta you gotta yeah. have your lists for our final episode yeah 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 yep i've got six weeks five weeks to get it together i'll uh, i'll locate it and uh and do so but uh yeah wheel, nice. wheelchair salesman would uh be in my top 20 how about you uh honorable mention he misses out on my 20 yeah Ray, his name is Ray. Ray, that's the one, yes. Anyway, next week, buddy, we are doing The Maestro from Season 7, our second last Season 7 episode for the series. Ah, the uh, the introduction to uh, to The Maestro. Yes, and renting a place in Tuscany, if we can find one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that was another episode of Bidwabas. We are at the final stages of this podcast series, and uh, whether you're listening to us for the very first time, or if you've listened to us since Episode 1, we do appreciate your support, and thank you for listening to us. I mean, it's always wonderful if you can tell your friends and family who love Seinfeld about us you know be sure to listen to us you know get them to listen to us on you know anywhere you can get your podcasts and uh, if you can if you could be so kind leave us a five-star review on your podcast service we would definitely appreciate it that's right and uh, if you want to support us financially as well we do have a patreon and paypal Uh, all those details are in the show notes and we love hearing from you on social media as well again all those links are in the show notes if you want to find out where we're at and uh, how you can get in touch with us indeed my name's Ivan I'm Steve. We'll catch you next week for The Maestro. Take care of yourselves and each other.